Doug, God does not want people dead. Oh, I think God wants a lot of people dead. And when you finish watching this movie, you will too. Don't watch this film. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Don't Watch This Film, the podcast where we watch some of the worst horror movies in history so that you don't have to. My name is W. Adam Clark. My name is Tia, and I am so excited to talk about this movie. This, oh my is, goodness. this is a weird one to have. I mean, glad it came up. Glad we stumbled across this thing, because I would say my life is enriched knowing it's at least out there. You definitely did run across this, and just on title alone, just said, this is on the list. Just going, going right on the list. Yeah, I mean, just too, too ludicrous of a concept to not watch. The film that we are discussing, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, either or neithers, is Velocipaster. A 20, I think it was 2017, 2017 yeah. or 2018, yeah, 2017 indie release from Brendan Steer, who also did Animosity and some other things. We'll go into that when we get to the numbers. Anyway, yeah, so this is, this is what we like to call a film. And if the title uh, wasn't clear enough, uh, yes, this is in fact a film about a priest who turns into a dinosaur. Yeah. I wish it was deeper than that. It's not. Well, I mean, it is deeper than that because he also fights ninjas who are drug lords. And Christian. Yes, Christian ninja drug lords. You really can't make this shit up, can you? Okay, I mean, so... they did, so I guess you can. Okay, so what, what on earth is Velocipaster about aside from a priest that shapeshifts into a dinosaur. Okay. The movie begins with Pastor, his name is Doug, seeing his parents getting blown up outside of his church after Sunday service. He's... All right, before you go on, he sees them get blown up. We don't. We see a VFX hold screen where the effects would go if they had budget to put in effects, but he sees them get blown up, apparently. I'm sorry, please continue. No, that's okay. You can point out where we see the VFX card because that is not the first, last, or only time we see something like that in this film. Oh, it was great. So he then starts having nightmares about a trip to China he took on the suggestion of his fellow priest, Father Stewart. They involve him meeting a woman having been shot with an arrow in the chest and getting his blood on a curved tooth object she told him to destroy. He figures it's just an after effect from his trip and dismisses it. However, later that night, he goes out and saves a hooker, Carol, from being attacked in the park. He does this by transforming in his hunger slash blood rage into a dinosaur that is, how do we say, budget-friendly depicted? Budget-friendly is a very nice way to put that one, yes. Uh, I would say somewhere between budget-friendly and... Barney and the bad American Godzilla movie had a baby. <laughs> so bad. <sighs> but it's great. It's great in how bad it is. So he wakes up in her bed thinking that they had sex. They did not. As she describes what he did last night because he doesn't remember. After showing him the body, she tries to convince him that he could use this power for good and kill bad guys that are beyond saving. As being a hooker who's in college for 
becoming a doctor Pre-med and law. a lawyer. Pre-med law. She knows a lot of bad guys. Turning her aside, he returns to the church in time for confessions, and here's a guy start bragging about his drug, murder, hooker ring, uh, including having blown up a car in front of a church, uh, the one he happens to be in. Enraged, Doug tears his throat out and agrees to plan satisfying his hunger with Carol by killing people who deserve it. We're then shown a cut-in scene of what ends up being a camp of Christian ninjas training who are the overarching big bad of the story. Yes, Christian Templar ninjas. That's who are running a cocaine ring. Who are running a cocaine ring? Christian Templar ninja drug dealers. That's where we're going with this. I can't make this up. I mean, somebody did, but it wasn't us. Oh my god, so good. (laughs) Uh, Despite swearing that no one else can know about it, eventually he tells Father Stewart, who takes him to be exorcised, believing that a demon is what's causing the whole mess that doug is currently in now the exorcism doesn't go well and results in his eye getting torn out and showing a flashback to vietnam as you do of course and shows how he became a priest doug runs back to carol and father stewart ends up at the christian ninja camp where a grand plan to get everyone addicted to cocaine and then drop the supply forcing everyone to get christian ninja help is revealed because, of course, the world can be run by self-help groups. I mean, it, so far the whole thing tracks. Rejecting this, he gets stabbed through the chest with an arrow because that seems to be the method of killing everybody in this film. After another ninja attack on Doug and Carol, they travel back to presumably China. I say this because it's the same damn forest we've seen ten times at this point, And are confronted by Doug's forgotten, disowned brother ignored brother his name is luke his name should have been luke his name should have been luke no no no. his actual title his actual name in the film is sam the white ninja yeah and it is so well deserved (laughs) i mean maybe they were in pennsylvania or maybe they were in china or maybe they were in vietnam because apparently trees just look like trees everywhere they're all the same, really. Why, why do people bother to travel if every place looks like every other place? I know, right? That's one thing I've learned from watching indie movies. There's really no point in traveling because everything looks like either Los Angeles or Central PA. <sighs> so, they fight. Doug ends up stabbing his long-lost, disowned family member through the chest. Carol is wounded. A massive fight breaks out. And finally, the leader, I believe his name was Wei Chung. Yes. Comes out with an arrow tipped with anti-venom, as apparently this is not the first time China has had to deal with shape-shifting lizard warriors. Who knew? As you do. Who knew? Fortunately, Doug's hands happen to be immune to the anti-venom because they're cheap or gloves. Even though they weren't 30 seconds ago when you saw one hand on the ground and one on his leg, and why? I just know. Oh, it hurts. Uh... So with his unaffected claws, he tears the Chinese ninja Christian cocaine drug lord's head off. Carol and Doug recover from their injuries, and the movie ends on the idea that there's a lot more bad guys all over the world that need killing. Right. There you go. That is Velocipastor in a very, very small nutshell. I mean, yeah. He's a, a priest who's a weird raptor who fights Christian Templar ninja drug dealers because his hooker 
doctor, lawyer, girlfriend convinced him that that's what God wanted. I mean, <laughs> you wouldn't think you could sum this movie up in a sentence. And after you say it, you're not sure you did. But there you go. God. Oh, so, uh, so yeah, there's there's that. Um, what I I almost don't want to ask. What what numbers did you find for this? All right. This? Well, the movie is not actually rated, but if we had to give it a rating, I would honestly say it's pretty PG-13. Like, there's not even any nudity, really, whatsoever to speak of in the film. A couple of those bombs, which is PG-13 friendly anyway. Yeah, like, so. there's a little bit of language, but not a lot. I mean, it's pretty, pretty PG-13 safe. As far as genre, uh, action-adventure-horror-comedy, because, you know... Why Crunch just won. The director was Brendan Steer, best known for Animosity in 2014. The film was produced by Brendan Steer and also Jason Goldsbury, who was the cinematographer for the project. There is no official release date for theaters. I think it was just a direct-to-video kind of release. Because, after all, direct-to-the-internet is the millennial version of the great 80s direct-to-video. So... That tracks. The budget for this is somewhere between thirty-five dollars to $45,000. I guarantee you they made their money back. Uh, there is no box office gross because there was no box office. And the runtime is one hour and 15 minutes. Which I just realized means that this is not officially a feature-length film. Because it's five minutes short, technically speaking. 75 minutes is no longer a feature-length? I thought it used to be. I'm pretty sure it's 80. Huh. Anyway, or if it is, if it is, it's just is. If it's short, it's just short. If it's short, it doesn't fucking matter because it never went to the theaters in the first place. And obviously this is not an Oscar contention, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> uh, the film has a Rotten Tomatoes critical score of 57 and an audience score of 71%. IMDb gives it a 5.1. I was actually surprised that those scores were that high. Not that I disagree with them, but usually movies like this, I would expect to get lower ratings than what I feel they should get. And for this, that was pretty much right where I expected. The two biggest stars in the movie would be Greg Cohen, who plays Father Doug Jones. Best known for this, A Little Water in 2019 and Where There's Smoke in 2017. Alyssa Kapinski, who plays Carol best known for her work in Animosity in 2014, the other Brendan Steer project, and also a lot of TV work, including High Fidelity, King of Knives, Off Campus, and a few other projects. So she's been around in like one episode roles, but not really had a mainstay, aside from this and Animosity, and also apparently Brendan Steer's next project, which she is also cast in. So there we go. Numbers. Yay. Tia. What went wrong? Where do we start? The thing is, is that... Okay, so... Exactly. There is a lot Exactly. Of... Where the fuck do we go? <laughs> like, I don't even know where to start. I think what fundamentally went wrong was simply a lack of budget. Yeah, I would agree. Because you would not think a movie called Velocipaster with a synopsis like the one I just gave you would be anything worth taking a first look at, let alone a second. But this movie is better than it has any right to be. My god, I enjoyed this so much. I genuinely think... Okay, so here's the way the movie comes off to me, at least. Brendan Steer is a very competent filmmaker with some talent. We don't know how much yet, because he hasn't been given the proper budget to show it. 
But he knows what he's doing when it comes to directing and producing. He had an idea for a movie, but he didn't have the funding to make the movie that he wanted. But he realized that some of the ideas could be adapted into a film of some kind. And if a writer just wants to write, a filmmaker just wants to make fucking films. Pretty much. So he knew that he was restricted in what he could do. So instead of just making a straight bad film, which I fully believe he would be capable of because I believe he knows how to make good film. He said, we're going to go complete 180 and we're going to create a horror comedy satire of the genre. And we're going to balls to the wall as much as we can with the money that we have. And you see in specific places where good filmmaking lies, it creeps out. It's like cracks in a lava flow. You see the fire underneath. You know it's there. But there's not enough to bring it to the surface. And I can't believe I'm saying this about a film called Velocipaster. But I genuinely would love to see this movie if it had another 200000 on the table for it. I completely agree. I really think that what we have with this copy of Velocipaster is they didn't have the money to make the movie they wanted to make, but they had enough money to make a movie that could hopefully make money and get them more money for future projects to make the movies they want to make. So they said, hold my beer. And they just went into it and they like, look, the things that we can do, we're going to do. We're going to do them well. And we're going to demonstrate the talent of the cast that we've put together. And the things that we can't do, we are just going to Sergeant Drevin our way through them with as straight a face as possible making them as bad and as cheap as possible. Because if we don't have $5,000 to spend on a VFX for a scene, we're going to spend five fucking cents. And that's it. And they at no point do they middle of the road this. There's no scenes in this that are really wishy-washy. There's a couple scenes where if it had been my movie, if I had been the director or producer, I would have wanted a little bit more underscoring. But that's a stylistic choice. There's a couple scenes where I would have shot them from different angles, but that's a cinema, you know, a cinemagraphical choice. There were decisions made by people that knew how to make decisions, and then they go, "We don't have the money for that. Go get the paper mache." Like there's just they never, they they never half-ass it. They're either dialed in trying to do the scene the best way they can. Or they whole ass the whole thing. They're never, never in the middle. And it's one of those things where you look at this movie and you're like, no, but if you had just done this in the middle, I could have ignored it and excused it and moved on and still enjoyed this scene. Nope. No, you're not allowed to enjoy this scene. We don't have enough budget for you to enjoy this scene. You're not allowed to. Next time, support the Kickstarter and we'll have a better movie. If you liked this but wanted it better, it's your fucking fault if your name's not on the Kickstarter. Like, that's really where they are with this movie. I mean, and you can tell. Like, you could absolutely tell. They knew going in from day one what this was going to be. They did not have any illusions about what they were making. No question. From the moment they started shooting, this is not a film that got redirected in post or something like that, from the moment they started shooting, they knew what they were going to do, how they were going to do it, where they were going to play it straight, and where they were going to let it fall off a cliff. I'm fully confident in that assessment. So any bad point, at least 
to an extent. Any bad point could be traced back to a lack of budgetary support, honestly. This movie, again, what we got for the money that was there has no business being as good as it is. The soundtrack is incredible. Oh, the soundtrack. It's, if you like old school punk, little bit of post-punk, 90s turn of the millennium punk rock, there are three tracks in this movie that you're just going to want to put on your regular rotation for your playlist. They are that good. It really is. It is exactly what you would expect someone in 2019 in a college in Portland yeah. to have on their playlist. Oh, yeah. It's definitely some great college punk rock. Absolutely. 100%. And what I really appreciate, actually, is a very bold use of color, which not a lot of filmmakers know how to do and even less know how to do it well. There's a scene where Hooker with Heart of Gold and Pastor Stricken with Dinosaur Lycanthropy uh, actually do end up sleeping together. One of those awesome punk songs is the backing track, which works surprisingly well. I was surprised. Yeah, and I mean, also their use of color is amazing because there are so many scenes, like limited budget, limited control of sets. Mm -hmm. Most of the sets they have are bland and beige and or earth toned. They don't have a lot of options for color in the set. So anytime you see color, it needed to be injected into the shot and was an intentional decision. So it's just really, really impressive. Also, during the same scene, they take a lot of chunks from the movie and interspersed in that scene, which seems kind of like a flashback to things that we've done in the movie or thoughts going through the characters' heads while they're being intimate, is this great gradient of grid shots that are playing. It's very, very pretentious. I think that was the word mm -hmm. you used. Pretentious filmmaking app. So fucking pretentious. But you mentioned that they were able to get, what was it, the staggering? Yeah. Was was done intentionally bad in a way that is very difficult to do intentionally bad. Yeah, yeah. like that program is very hard to not get things, like it's designed to line up those shots for you. Mm -hmm. And they weren't aligned correctly. Like there was a little bit of off axes. And some of the boxes were moving at different speeds than the others. Not enough that they could ever catch up, but just enough where they weren't aligned. And that's really hard to do. You've got to really try to fuck that scene up. So it's them taking the piss out of hyper pretentious student art house projects in the midst of their weird dinosaur preacher hooker doctor lawyer film with christian ninja drug dealers i'll never get tired of hearing that i, I really know won't. and there was another again this movie betrays that the people behind it knew how to make a film constantly uh you said that you had found a way to get the film there was film scratch and you mm -hmm. said that there was a unique way that they found how to do that yeah so there's a couple scenes where they want to do some scratch shot on the film and the way that it was done was Steer took the raw unprocessed negative films and scraped them against surfaces in his bathroom because it was the only room he had that didn't have windows thus the only room he had access to where he could damage the film without exposing it and ruining the negatives. And let me say, as a filmmaker who's working on an exceptionally small budget, that's still a ballsy proposition. Because if 
he's wrong about how much light is in that room and it damages the film, you just doubled your budget because you've got to shoot it all over again. And who thinks of that? Who would come up with that idea for creating Film Scratch in that way? That is some... We are under serious heavy demands of ourselves and we don't have a way to pull this off. (laughs) Yeah, it's just... It's knowing what you want to do and knowing you don't have the budget to do it right and finding a way to do it with the money you've got. In this case, nothing. So go for it. Gosh. But it's it's little things like that. It's things like that in the film, certain scenes, certain way shots are set up, cinematography choices that this guy knows how to make a movie. He We, we can tell he knows how to make There's too much that works. And the satire is so bad it's good in the way that, as you described, I think, Control 2, only a good filmmaker can make a bad movie good. Yeah, yeah. Only someone who knows how to make a movie really well can also do it this bad. It's like singing off-key. People who can't sing at all can sing off-key. People who can sing kind of well can't sing sounding like someone who doesn't know how to sing. They can't break the habits that are required to be able to sing. Mm. You've got to be a really good singer to be able to sound like you don't know how to sing at all. And that's what Brendan Steer pulls off several times in this movie is being a good enough filmmaker to, in individual scenes, make it look like he and his cast, because the direction the director gives the actors pulls it off, doesn't know how to make a movie. There are scenes, and Tia pointed this one out, where there will be two or three actors in a shot, and they'll all be set on a different emote structure. One will be stoic, one will be emotional, one will be laconic. Like, people will be using different emotions in the same shot with each other, and playing it through like they're completely unaware that they're on the wrong emotional track. That takes some talent to be able to pull off. That's why I said you see potential at every stage. So you can't you can't fully immerse yourself into this film is god-awful, even though the premise is not great, because you're constantly being bombarded with there is potential here. Now, you had mentioned while we were screening this, that there were some spots where you were a little disappointed in the choices that were made against what they could have done with the same set and situation and budget, and I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, well, basically, again, that's... A lot of times these will just be... Again, it's not that it's wrong, it's just a different directorial choice. If it had been my project, I would have done it a little bit differently. There were times where I wanted them to stay making the movie I knew they could make. And instead they use that scene to demonstrate that this is going to be a bad film and you're, and it's going to disappoint where I'm like, no, but you could have just done it here. You didn't have to ruin this scene. And then there are other scenes where I would have preferred them to go and lean into the camp factor more. And instead, those are the scenes where they decided to play it straight. It's just a stylistic preference, but it's one Mm -hmm. of those things that 
for me graded a little bit because where I wanted the movie to be camp, it was solid. Where I wanted the movie to be solid, it was camp. Not all the time, but just a couple scenes here and there where it's just enough to go. Not the best version of this we could have gotten for me. Again, if you're watching this movie, your mileage may vary. You may think all of the scenes land perfectly. Stylistic choices, personality differences, yeah, that's going to happen. For me, there was a couple shots where I was just like, oh, but why why did they make that choice here? And that's that's the curse of the good bad film is mm-hmm. unless you are Zucker, Abrams and Zucker, you're not going to be able to do this perfectly. So, you've got to figure out where to draw the lines and where to go different directions and everybody's going to put lines different places and it's just one of those things where as a writer, I really like what they pulled off with the writing pretty much all the way through this film. Mhm. As a director or a producer, which, to be honest, I've never been for either one, if it had been my project, there's a couple things I would have done differently than the finished product we got here. But that doesn't mean what was done was wrong or bad. It just means that I would have done it with a little bit different flair. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. And as a side note, just from hearing you talk about that, if we could ever get uh, Mr. Brendan Steer on as a podcast to do a interview based on this movie, you would do it in a heartbeat. I'd be like, okay, so here, uh, uh, you know, 37 minutes in this frame here. What the fuck were you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) I would love to hear that. I really would. So what are some of the highlights? One of the highlights, and to be honest, this has to be a highlight because the movie is going to live or die by your lead. In a, in a film like this, if your lead fails, it doesn't matter what kind of support they have. Correct. Uh, Gregory... Cohen. Gregory Cohen, thank you, is the lead actor who plays Doug Jones, who is named after the famous character actor slash contortionist Doug Jones, who's known for Shape of Water, the Hellboy series, because the director was heavily influenced by a one Mr. Del Toro and wanted to pay homage in his Where Dinosaur Pastor film. But we see a lot of where the director has an eye for talent because the lead is very good at picking his vocal choices, and I'm pretty sure he was given free reign to do this. In the very beginning, and in very serious situations, he's very metered and stoic. He chooses his words carefully. Everything seems to have a lot of weight behind them. When he starts getting shaken up, because he realizes, no, this is not just some weird fever dream, I'm actually running around as a dinosaur killing people, he starts getting very animated, he starts getting very nervous, he starts breathing a lot faster, he starts talking a lot more high-pitched. And it's a perfect juxtaposition of how an actual character in this situation would start to break down. You have somebody who's been in the church a good chunk of their lives at this point, at least based on what we can see, And we have someone who has trained to be a pastor, trained to be calm, trained to hear things like confessions and not bat an eye. And this is, this is what ends up shaking him up. This is what ends up making him question his faith. This weird situation he's found himself in, which I'm pretty sure would make anyone question reality before faith, but that's neither here nor there. Well, it's mostly because dinosaurs aren't real. And if they are, he sure doesn't transform into one. He does say that, doesn't he? Oh, dinosaurs aren't real. 
Oh, thank you. See, like that's what I mean. Like perfectly great campy scene, delivered the right way. It it tracks. It's perfect. And then there's other scenes where I'm just like, was was that intentionally bad or was that accidentally bad? Even just little things like the shorts that Doug Jones is wearing under the orange knit dress. Yes, watch the movie. I'm not going to explain that for you more. In the one shot, the shorts that you're not supposed to be able to see because he's obviously not wearing shorts because you almost have a full frontal. So you know that he's not wearing shorts. His shorts are white. And when he's running away, they're black, which means was this first off was seeing the shorts an intentional error or was that a actual film mistake were you making a comment on costuming failures in indie films by putting in not one but two and they're different or did you have a costume failure in your film not one but two and they're different i honestly don't know because that's the kind of movie this is it's at points trying to mock indie films that are one working on a project bigger than their budget while also being an indie film working on a project bigger than its budget so it, it's it's tough to tell where they're going and like that is that's the maddening brilliance of this movie is that the more if you take it just at face level if you look just on the surface there's an entertaining parody there and then the more you peel back those layers there's an intellectual parody that is so well done that you can't tell when it's intentionally sarcastic and when they're doing the things that they're mocking other projects for doing. That part of the problem that you had is that that line of demarcation was hard to see at times. Kinda. Like, on one hand, I love that you can't tell. Mm -hmm. All right. Because that causes discourse. On the other hand... It really comes down to what you think the purpose of film is. And this is, again, this is some highbrow director cinematographer kind of shit that I'm talking <laughs> about right now. What is the purpose of film? If the purpose of film is to entertain, you need things very demarcated so that people know and they can pantomime along and know when they're supposed to laugh. And those scenes happen in this movie. If you are an intellectualist, if you are a ideological filmmaker, you want your movies to inspire thought and discussion and reflection after the film is done. This is your Stanley Kubrick's of the world. So you put in things where maybe it's part of the film, maybe it's not part of the film, maybe mm -hmm. it's in there to cause concern or discourse, maybe it's in there to make you try to figure out if it's supposed to be in there. Maybe it's in there to make you wonder if it's a mistake or not. Again, I wholeheartedly believe there's a couple things in The Shining that Kubrick put in just to go, these motherfuckers that think that they know more about film than me, I'll show all of them. I'm going to take this lamp in the corner of this room and I'm going to remove it for one quarter of the shot. And people will wonder for the next 40 years what the purpose of the lamp was. Like, that's the kind of shit that intellectual filmmakers do to mock plebeians that are trying to figure out what their films are. And I'm not saying that Brendan Steer is that kind of person. I'm saying I don't know why Greg Cohen 
for one half of the shot had white shorts on and for one half of the shot had black shorts on. They were very specifically different shorts. It looked like we weren't supposed to be able to see them either time, but also you very clearly see them both times. And I can't believe that if I'm watching a film once, only once, and notice it, A, that he's wearing shorts, and B, that the color of the shorts change, that the editor, director, producer of the film who had to go and watch those scenes, I guarantee you, 80 times to figure out the right angles, the right cuts, went and peeled through it frame by frame in post. There's no way he didn't fucking notice it. So why is it still there? Reshoot one, edit around it, use different angles, use different cuts, use a backing shot if you don't have the track in that spot, and ADR it. Like, there's a million ways to fix this so that it's not there, but it's there. So is it supposed to be there? God damn it. This is the thing right here. This is where you get sidetracked. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever think that fans and viewers put more thought into the film than the actual filmmakers do. I mean, for modern films, no, because they know that's what their audience is going to do. But early films, oh, absolutely. I mean, you have to remember, even going back to the 80s, like right before the age of VHS, one of the reasons why, you know, Cohen could get away with a lot of the things that he did in his movies was he knew people were only going to see it two or three times tops. Like, you can totally, absolutely hide mistakes and not care when your audience is only going to see the film once. And it's on a big screen. You talk about all these things in classic movies, like, what's this shadow in the back of the shot in Wizard of Oz? Nobody on set fucking cared. Because you don't see that shadow the first 15 times you watch the film. And no one was going to see it more than that ever in their lifetime. So it didn't matter. Like, you used to be able to get away with some of those kinds of things. You used to not have to have as drastic continuity checkers as you have today. Because, let's face it, you can stop and rewind things now at home. You know what you needed to do that with movies in the 50s and 60s? A projector. For the movie, in your house, it wasn't happening. I think it's interesting that you talk about the continuity and was this intentional and was this not intentional? Because the impression that I got is that Brennan Steer put in a lot that was intentional but was deliberately vague about it. Because, for example, the through line that I completely stumbled across by accident, Sam the White Ninja being Doug's disowned, forgotten brother. We, we're, It's never it's never fucking right. made clear. But I mentioned at the very end how, well, that kind of makes sense if they're the big bad, that he would want to blow up his estranged parents in front of Doug because now he's the second in command, presumably, of this Christian ninja drug cartel. He wants to send a message and wants to get revenge on the family that forgot that he existed. And your immediate response was, don't make this make sense. <laughs> don't make this make sense. Yeah, and again, it's like, is is he leaning into the M. Night Shyamalan surprise because you saw three or four family scenes and then you see the reshoot where you see that Sam is just off of shot of the shots that you saw earlier in the movie? Is that spoofing M. Night Shyamalan? Is that duplicating M. Night Shyamalan's film techniques because... 
you're a fan of them and you wanted them in the movie? Is it spoofing people who try to be M. Night Shyamalan but aren't anywhere near as talented at it? But damn it, they saw Ghost when they were 11 years old and that's why they decided that they wanted to be a filmmaker? It's these kinds of things where you're just like... Well, what was the intention here? And you can read it a number of different ways. And again, that's the mark of a really talented filmmaker to let the audience make their own decisions about where the film was supposed to go. Normally you do it with text. Here you're doing it with meta-meta text. It doesn't matter. The concept remains the same. So there's a lot of really good stuff here. It's just, it's really good stuff on a $40,000 budget. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the parts that he was intentionally making satire, he is very clear about making satire. For example, how the Chinese leader of the Christian ninja cult only ever speaks Chinese except for maybe one or two lines, and everyone around him who speaks English can understand him. Right, yeah. But they keep that running joke in from the beginning that you see him until the very very end when his head gets torn off that is intentional satire of dialogue in asian or mixed fusion movies yeah and again can't say that brendan steer doesn't know the history of the medium you get cued into that really early on if you're paying attention the production company for the movie was like a come home productions okay Laika is the name of the first animal to ever orbit the Earth in a Russian satellite. Dog, I believe. A dog, yes. Mm. The same breed as Lassie. Lassie Come Home is the name of the 1934 film that introduced the world to Lassie. So he tied some Cold War shit to Golden Era Cinema to come up with the name of the production company for his satirical action-adventure horror comedy about a weird raptor priest defeating Christian Templar ninja drug cartels. There's some heavy-duty thought going into trying to make this pie work. There's no way around it. And then, because you now know that, Every time something happens, it's the, wait, is this the joke? Is this a mistake? It's too good of a joke. It, 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 it's too perfect to be a mistake, but it's also not delivered overhanded enough for me to know it's a joke. So now you're in this mid-ground where you're just, you're just not sure. That's part of what makes it so enjoyable to watch. I though. agree. It, it, it seems very counterintuitive, but not being able to completely tell what is and is not satire, what is and is not played straight, and what is and is not suffering just on the back of not having enough money to pull it off. It, it makes it, they blended it together in such a way that while you're watching it, you don't care that much. Agreed. Or you, you care, but. It's not enough to detract from the enjoyment of the film, and I really found myself enjoying this way more than I thought I would for something that is literally called Where Dinosaur Priest. Yeah. Alright. So. Who would like this? Who would like this? Who is this movie for? If you're a fan of cult, campy, completely not taking itself seriously, cinema, you're gonna adore this movie. If you're a fan of just straight up satirical nonsensical how in the hell did they get from point a to point c without going through point b you're gonna like this movie if 
you like the idea of a were dinosaur who's also a priest who fights drug dealing Christian ninjas. You you will be a fan. You will absolutely be a fan. This movie is for you. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot to unpack, a lot more than we expected from this film. If you have gotten through this podcast entertained and at all intrigued about this property, then this movie's for you and go check it out. If you haven't, then you haven't and don't. But yeah, I think I, I think this is one that you're probably going to see talked about in the indie space for quite some time. I have a feeling that this is going to be one of those slow burns that 10 years from now is a cult classic when everyone involved in it has gone on to make major blockbuster other things. This is one that people are going to come back to with that remember when kind of thing. And... I think this movie is going to stretch for a long, long time. Which is really, that's, I, I hope so, because there's a lot of potential here. And if if you're at all curious, this, my God, it's on Tubi for free, it's on Voodoo for free, it's on Crackle for free, it's on Amazon Prime, if you have the subscription. It's on something called Fubo TV, which I don't even know what the hell that is. There are many places to see this where you don't necessarily have to spend money. I almost want to buy the DVD just to support them. That's how impressed I am by this. I, I don't at all think it's a bad idea. I really don't. <laughs> so, uh... Let's get to... I am so interested to hear what you come up with for this. Let's get to the rating. All right, so at DWTF, we use a rather unique scoring system lovingly known as the DWTF meter. On the DWTF meter, every film scores a one because, let's face it, you shouldn't watch any of these films. However, the important thing is one out of what? A one out of one film is an instant classic that everybody needs to watch. A one out of two is a great film that is horribly flawed, all the way down to a one out of ten, which we reviewed already once this month. Don't make us do it again. So, Tia, would you like to go first or second? We'll go second, or actually, no, no, no. I will go first because I want to give you a little bit more time because I still don't. I'm still not sure if you're sure what you want to read it. I so don't. I'm gonna... <laughs> I, I'm I'm coin flipping in my head as we speak. I'm not so, kidding. I will go through my dissection of my rating and why I rated it that way, and just give you more time to chew on your own thoughts. Yay, um, chewing. So, which also happens a lot in this movie, ironically enough. <laughs> so. I did not go into this with any expectations other than from the title, this is going to be not good. I was stunned at how much I liked this film. There, It's not perfect. It's not Citizen Kane. We are not, not going to be voting the Velocipaster in for any awards anytime soon. But there's so much here that betrays the potential and the talent of the cast and crew and director who made it. They knew exactly what movie they wanted to make, and they knew the movie that they could make with the money that they had, and they chose to go that direction. Without sacrificing, and I'm just going to say it, without sacrificing quality, they ended up with something that is a perfect blend of satirical comedy horror yes, this premise is silly, and we absolutely own that this premise is silly, and something that is a legitimately decent film. Again, from the silliest premise, they built a fairly decent house. So I'm probably going to be a little bit generous in my scoring because of how pleasantly surprised I was. I see where there were flaws, and I see what the 
because of the flaws were. I can't hold that against the film, but I also, you know, I, I can't, I can't grade it on what would this film have been like with another 200,000 in the pod. I have to grade on, you know, I have to grade the movie we have. Knowing that and seeing what they did do with the budget they had and what the finished product was, I honestly have to give this... And I'm squaring myself down because... You want to give it a one out of two, don't you? I see it. Absolutely. I want to give it a one out of two. Give it I a one really out of two. do. I, I, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I, I can, I can understand giving this a one out of two. It is so. I'm good. not going to, but I can understand giving this a one out of two. It is so surprisingly good. I was stunned at how much I enjoyed this movie. If you get a chance, go and see it. It is. Is it perfect? God, no. Is it probably? Is it worth less than a one out of two? Probably, but screw it. I want to give it a one out of two. I was entertained. I would buy this movie. I would watch it again, unironically, and probably more than once. It no, I was, I was taken aback by how great this was and the potential that's there, and what they ended up doing with what they had in their hands. Yeah, I'm scoring this one out too. Go for it. Absolutely. I don't disagree with that decision at all. I this is a movie that I could see someone giving a one out of two. I'm not that person. I am not going to give it a one out of two, but I'm glad That's that you felt part. that you could. So after much thought and much deliberation and much... Yeah. I mean, again, it's it's the best they could do with the money they had. Again, as we've said before, nobody sets out to make a bad film. You set out to make the best film you can. Sometimes the best film you can make is a bad film. This is not a bad film, okay? It's also not a great film. There's talented people in, in work here. Brendan Steer, very talented writer, director, producer. I look forward to seeing his future work. Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker, he is not. So it's a good movie. I'm glad I watched it. If someone comes over and I mention the movie and they're like, the fuck, there's no way that exists, I will then sit down and watch it with them and watch it again. It's But it's not a movie that I'm just going to, sit home one night and go, oh, I'm going to pop this in. For me, that would be Wild Zero, not this. For those of you who are fans of Wild Zero, there you go. I, I really feel like it's a one out of four film. I think it's a film that you should see. I think it's a film that's worth having in your collection just so that when your buddy comes over and they're like, I've seen every premise ever for a horror movie. Really? Have you seen a movie about a piece of furniture that eats people? Yes, we've already seen Deathbed, the bed that eats. Okay. Have you seen the movie about a preacher who turns into a dinosaur who attacks Christian ninja drug dealers because his hooker doctor lawyer girlfriend convinced him to? The fuck? Okay, sit down. We're watching Velocipaster. Like... It's a good movie to have, and it's a movie that you should support. So if you if you can see it for free, see it for free. If you rent this movie, you will not be disappointed at the money you spent to rent it. If you saw it, and you liked it, and you want to buy it to put in your collection, I support you supporting the people that made this movie. Thank you very much. Indie horror needs more people like you if you're doing that. But this one's not the title for me, and I'm giving it a 1 out of 4. Glad I watched it. Probably not watching it again in the near future solid could have been better should have been worse yeah one out of four that's that's where it's been worse should have been worse is not a bad way to describe I mean, it like again could have been better should have been worse is a good description of this movie i also think it's a good description of something that sits in one out of four because then one out of five was should have been better and was worse so yeah i'm 
There we go. All right. So that's it. That is Velocipaster. That is Velocipaster. On our way out, we'd like to thank the patrons who make this project possible. This week, we'll be thanking Chris McCurley, Chris Mallory, and Tracy Smith for their support on Patreon. If you would like to have your name written out or read out rather during one of these podcasts, just go over to patreon.com slash don't watch this film. $1, $5, $10, $20. There's different tiers for different things. If you want to hear your name read out, $5 a month. If you enjoy these podcasts and would like to see them continue, even $1 a month, it, we will be more than happy, more than thankful for, because not all of these movies are free, and some of them we, in fact, do need to pay to be able to watch. So thank you very much, the three of you, for your support. It means more than you know. And yeah, that's where we are with that. Thank you so much again to our patrons. And if you don't happen to have the money, we understand completely. We understand financial support is not exactly overflowing these days. We also have a fairly active Twitter at Don't Watch This F. We say when our new episodes are going to come out. We talk about things going on in the horror world, both new and of old. And we also discuss the patron polls where our patrons can vote on the film that they want us to see next. So if you don't have a dollar, but you do have a social media account, a like, a comment, a retweet, all of that boosts engagement, which gets more ears on the podcast, which helps us immensely. And we are eternally grateful for any support that you show us like that. Thank you guys so much. And that's where you can find us. All right. Also, if you want to send us a message, if you want to give us a quick shout out, DWTF mailbag at gmail.com. Fire it off. Tell us what you liked. Tell us what you didn't like. And, you know, we will be more than happy to hear from you. So that takes care of our shape shifting preacher. Next week, dear listeners, a film selected by you. And by you, I mean the patrons who have supported us for $1 or more. You get to vote monthly on a film. And the film selected for this month, a classic, absolute classic film, 1982's Forbidden World. We are going to have so much to talk about, not just about the movie, but about the people who made it, person who made it. Uh-huh. Oh, this one, <laughs> this is, this is a true B-horror classic, start to finish in every sense of the word. So, yeah, this is going to be this is going to be an interesting one to talk about because um this is our first Roger Corman movie so far. So, yeah. But not the last. Oh, most certainly not. Anyway, thank you all very much for being here. My name is W Adam Clark. My name is Tia and until you hear from us again, don't watch this film.